and Young Aseo, welcome to Afternoona Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the Hallyu wave all the way to shore? So grab some deck bookie and listen to your new favorite unis. Full disclosure, I have brought adult beverages for this conversation, and I am going to do the sound effect. <laughs> oh, yours is, I already opened mine. That was I, nice. Because I am unable to discuss this drama sober. <laughs> I mean, if they didn't write it sober, we shouldn't be expected to talk about it sober. Yeah. That is a question I have that we will get into is what was this writer on and where do we get it? Yeah. And this is where, similar to our Goblin discussion, I feel slightly differently about the show than they do, but that's the fun of it. And I'm really excited. So we have a lot of questions about Tale of the Nine-Tailed, and I'm excited to discuss these questions, but I still am all in. I'm all in for the nutso bonkers plot threads that were dropped. I'm still all in. I'm still all in. I loved it so much because Lee Dong-Wook as Lee Yoon can steal my soul any day. So let's get to it. Leon, played by the Zoolander level of really, really good-looking Lee Dong-wook, was once a powerful mountain spirit who sacrificed that existence to resurrect the life of the woman he loved, Aum. Leon has now lived his life as a gumio, or nine-tailed fox in human form. Excuse my pronunciations, I am trying my best. He waits for Aum to be reincarnated. It's been 600 years, and it seems he is mostly an exasperated nanny to foxes who get out of line. Meanwhile, Nam Jia, played by Joe Boa, works for a TV station producing paranormal documentaries. Back in 1999, her parents were involved in a car accident in Yao Goge. She remembers a man that saved her in that accident. Now, Nam Jia reveals CCTV footage from a wedding hall where the bride disappears. She sees the man that saved her as a child walking out of the wedding with a red umbrella. It's Leon! What happens next is, what? <laughs> a fever dream? A plot like Icarus that flies too close to the sun? A loss-type letdown? A triumph? Before we dive into our WTFs and what we loved, let's just get a few words from each of us on the experience of watching Tale of the Nine-Tailed. I don't even know what to say. What is cracking me up is how in our first Goblin podcast, we were talking about how we were just starting to watch this. And we were all about three episodes in and we're like, this is amazing. It's got Goblin type vibes, but it's a little bit creepier and it keeps surprising me. And Lee Dong-wook and Kim Bum are out of this world, fantastic in their roles, which they are. But when I got to the end of episode 16, my first reaction was, what? Did I actually just watch? Because I don't know what the point of this drama was. I enjoyed every episode that I watched, but I also got more and more into WTFRE territory every episode that I watched as well. So I don't know. I don't know what to think, except that I have questions, questions that don't have answers. I feel as if in real life, I have never gone to the desert and experienced like a drug induced like weekend <laughs> of stupor where, you know, I was just like ideas rolling and things happening and whatever, like the world melding. But I think this is as close to that experience as I like could get 
in my life because I probably had 90% of all human emotions watching this show. It started off at the highest highs where I was like, heck yeah, I am into this like horror slash romance slash folklore. Like it's got me and it is taking me and I am ready. And then all of a sudden I was like, I am floating in some sort of like quagmire of questions and yes questions without answers doors that open to more doors and in the end i think and this is what's gotten me is i can't say i didn't enjoy it even though i am going to like come hard at this show and this plot i'm going to say that part of my like love for this and it's love is that i still don't know wtf like what did i watch I actually, I mean, there were definitely a lot of WTF parts of this of this show. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I think maybe, so I watched some pretty cracked out shit on Netflix sometimes late at night. And I mean, I watched the platform on Netflix. So I guess to me, if anyone has seen platform, you know what I'm talking about or the platform. So I guess for me, this was not as WTF as maybe some other things I've seen, but it was still very WTF. But it was so compulsively watchable because to me the actors went all in like i remember saying in our slack conversations i'm like what was in the water on this set because everyone went full in like i had no idea that lee dong wook because the first the first two roles i've seen of him he he's very stiff and he's like kind of uptight i didn't know he could be this like sassy fox and i didn't know he could be an action hero and he was all of those things and i truly feel like there was like a set of writers for episode like one through ten and they were like really going somewhere i think they really had an idea of where they wanted to go and then i sort of feel like 11 and 12 episode hit and they got different writers and decided they were only going to finish like two plot lines and even those were a little rough (laughs) do you know what i mean i feel like they just decided they weren't going to finish plot lines and i love like talking about show theories and well what about this and what about this i do love that i don't think that's what the show was i don't think we're meant to like have all these crazy theories i think it literally just didn't make sense but by the end of the but by episode 16 I didn't give an F. Like, I still (laughs) sobbed my heart out. 15 and 16, I just cried, like, the whole time. I loved it. I was all in. This romance to me was everything. I love them so much. I love the supporting characters. Like, so I was still all in. And I know... (laughs) That Lee and Amy by the end had way too many questions to be all in. And I totally respect that because I totally agree. It went bonkers. So I guess with that being said, we are going to talk about what we loved because there is a lot to love. So don't think that this is just going to be like us bashing the show because if you enjoyed it or just know that I enjoyed it. Okay. But that doesn't mean we can't have questions. So we're going to do our WTFs and then we're going to talk about what we loved. And a couple of things. So we're going to have spoilers. Although honestly, I'm not <laughs> sure. I just choked on my beer. It just went out my nose. I just choked. And I am like, I'm hesitant because I like, I cannot wait to discuss this. And if you've watched it, I am interested. Like, I am curious, like how you found it compared to what we did. And if you haven't, and you're just kind of listening to this cold, we're going to go on a journey, my friends. We are about <laughs> to embark on a journey. <laughs> If you haven't watched this, you're going to, it'll sound even more WTF because you're going to be like, how is this a drama? Right. And honestly, folks, I don't know. I don't know. And please let me do the first one because this is my hill that I will die on. (laughs) Go ahead. We're going to do the nine things we WTF first. So we're going to get the negatives out of the way. And there's a lot, I'm going to say there's a lot more than nine, but we're going with the nine themed in honor of. Right. And I, and I do want to say like, 
I love this show, but I still think it's okay to love something, but still have a lot of questions about it. I mean, it's totally like I, I, you know what I mean? If you love the show and you're all in, that's okay. I still freaking loved it. And I'll still tell everyone, I think you need to watch it, but it's still fun to critique something, you know? And so that's what we're going to do. But I just don't want to make anyone like feel guilty for enjoying it because. Yeah. And I don't want to Yeah. No, part I was, yeah, I was any- all in. Like, I mean, to the very last, well, maybe not the very last scene, but pretty much <laughs> I was completely all in. Okay. So. Yeah. I don't want to yucky yum, but no, part ever. of my yum is going to be yucking this. And so don't yuck my yum either. Honestly, what Megan said about it being compulsively watchable was absolutely true. But part of what made it compulsively watchable for me from 10 through 16 was being able to get on Slack with the group and say, WTF just actually happened. Like, so that's where I am right now. So we'll start. We were, I was just gonna say, we were, I just want to say one thing. We were in tears crying, like talking about the, by the time I was, when laughing, I finished watching, laughing. I, I was uh, not really ever in tears for anybody other than, well, no, we'll yeah. get there. We'll get yeah, there. I was in tears laughing when we were discussing yeah. it. So, so we're going to start with the nine things we WTF and end on a positive note with the nine things that we loved. So the first one, which is what I have been asking since I think the first episode is WTF was up with the Yogu Gay. Who raised Gia after the car accident. So first of all, first of all, the first part of the WTF is why did Gia survive the car accident? Why did they take her parents? And why did Foxes pose as her parents when they could have just taken her? And after Leon saved her from the Foxes who were impersonating her parents, who the hell took care of her for the next 20 years? Because I think that nine-year-old was paying the bills and doing taxes. And I don't know how that's possible. So I do think we just need to give like a tiny bit of setup in case you haven't seen the show that essentially Yoga Go, I believe is like kind of like a canyony area. And young Gia is traveling with her parents. It's her birthday. They give her a birthday present, which is kind of like a musical carousel that you wind up and it plays music and the ponies go around. Then lights go out, the car flips, there's an accident. And at that point, basically, her parents are gone. Then there's new parents, but we quickly see they're like impersonators by foxes. The hero comes, rescues her, then says, like, I'm erasing your memory. Don't tell anyone I'm going to kill you if you tell anyone. Then he tries to, like, see if she's someone that at that point we don't know. Like, he's basically trying to see if she's his reincarnated love. And then, yes, apparently this nine-year-old proceeds to raise herself as best we can tell. (laughs) Because they say, they say that her uncle picked her up and like from the police station or whatever after the accident, but... And dropped her off at home. And and dropped her off at home. But they never, they never say, like, she doesn't, this this uncle never appears. Like, did he, (laughs) was he just like, well, yeah, like, you know what I mean? Like, you would think that the uncle would still be in her life, but the uncle was not in her life. And every time they talked about her childhood, she was like, I was alone. I had no mom. I was alone. And I was like, you had nine? Up, she was alone putting up flyers for her missing parents as oh, if they yeah. were a cat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> also, still more to the point, like, I am never sure, even as we continue to try to unpack this, I don't understand why the bad guys ended up taking her parents and not her because ultimately as we're going to get to she was the ultimate kind of prize so i just don't see why she wasn't the one taken right she was right there (laughs) yeah and i also don't see then why when she wasn't taken apparently like the foxes got involved and foxes can shift form right so like there's like 
Fox is pretending to be her parents and she like busts them and then they kind of come to attack her and that's when like Lee Yon saves her as this little girl against like the bad foxes and I still don't understand any of that like why were there bad foxes trying to get her why were they posing as her parents like what was any of that so and to further attest to the fact that I don't think anybody raised her is there is nobody in her life (laughs) None. Other than her co-workers when she's no an one. adult. There's nobody. No she has no one. This she, even says, she even said she's alone and she has no friends. Like yes. She says that. This uncle that she speaks of, maybe he died. I don't know. She's alone. She, she raised herself. Once. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that could have been solved with just like you said, that very quick, like, you know, my uncle came and lived with me. He's dead now and I'm alone and like problem solved. But we didn't even get that. No, right. That's what what, I feel like there were a lot of things that could have been solved if they just explained it, but they just didn't bother. No, <laughs> they just didn't, didn't bother. bother. Okay, so we got to Yoga Go. The parents have been taken. We don't know why the parents are taken because Gia, ultimately, as we're going to see, was the person everybody wanted. There were bad guys after her for reasons we actually also don't know, and she raised herself. Okay, <laughs> number two, WTF was up with the island. <laughs> so much. So the island took up like a fair chunk of couple of early episodes and it's really cool it's like a very spooky island lots of supernatural things are happening on the island we find out that her parents had been on the island and part of Gia's arc is she's always looking for her parents like they were taken and so she has like a picture of them standing in front of the super creepy cave we see the super creepy cave there's a very bad smell which later when we find out about the bad guy the bad guy has a bad smell so I'm (laughs) guessing there's like a link to that cave although it's never explained and then there's a lot of things that go wrong quickly like there's a skull that washes up there's stories of like fishermen becoming cannibals and like eating each other like lost at sea then those fishermen go crazy and like one kills himself by like drowning himself in the toilet drinking water <laughs> and, and, fur, and they never explain who that fur is from yeah they're yes oh, <laughs> and then, fur. oh my god the they're hard yeah they're working up fur we don't know why i'm guessing seriously synthetic fur like I, every time they showed it i was like that looks like it looks like something out of my hairbrush like and then the other guy is eating like another fisherman who committed murder like a, became a murderous cannibal to save himself he ends up eating himself to death and so i mean like to me i was like okay that's all tied in some sort of curse with the fact they like killed their comrade to eat him at sea but like we, we never get any gun like that's just like a thing that happens but like there's, i don't there's a lot of stuff that happened like all the people disappear there's 41 i think why do i remember that number i think there's like 41 people on the island i mean a lot of stuff happens on the island but let's just that was probably my biggest thing they never explain where these 41 people went well they go to the well they do go to the well when they're right does yes. a moogie eat them like i don't okay we, yeah we gotta okay so i'm trying to like give a thread someone <laughs> oh could follow i'm sorry too. i didn't i'm sorry no, it's I, okay so much happens on the island and none of it then- One thing that happens to, on the island that's really good is we see Lee Dong Wook's character eating a lot of snacks. And that's oh. fun to watch for whatever reason. He just gets yep. into like little bags of chips and like mint chocolate chip ice cream. That's all charming. I mean, like I thought the story was going somewhere at that point. So yeah, he saves her numerous times. Like he's yeah. very heroic. That's when their relationship really, they start like teaming up. And yeah. I will say that that's one thing I like about the show is they team up a lot. And that's always one of the things I love about like action romances is when the hero and heroine team up. But <laughs> so, like, okay, so we're on the creepy island. We're assuming as like 
viewers in good faith that like all the creepy little like non sequiturs, like eventually they're going to all come together, you know? So you're kind of rolling with like the weirdness that's happening. Then she's taken by a shaman and brought to a well against her wishes. And you find out she's going to be a sacrifice. And as she's in the process of like being sacrificed at the well, Lee Yon comes and saves her. But then within that, she gets kind of like a creepy voice and a creepy smile grabs Leon by his neck and says like Leon long time no see you know indicates she knows him and then starts to get green scales growing up her this does get explained because Gia inside of her has the Amugi and the Amugi is uh, like a serpent of mythical legend And the Amugi is like tried to kind of like take over everything like, you know, 600 years ago and ended up in the body of uh, Aums. Like, how do you even explain all this? Okay. So ends up in the body of uh, Aum, who is Lee Yong, the mountain god's like human love. And she ends up perishing and she perishes with the Amugi inside of her. And so we see the Amugi still there. And I have to jump ahead because at that point, like, okay, that like logically holds too. like, oh gosh, like the bad guy is in like the girl that she's, he's going to fall in love with. That does become a big plot in the story. However, my WTF to this moment is like, he doesn't seem to like put together like at that moment when she's like long time, no see Leon. Like we don't know at that time, but like, you know, we find out like 10 episodes later when the exact same thing happens again, Gia also grabs the hero says long time, no see. And at that point he's like, Oh my God, you're the Moogie. And I was like, but like, she always was <laughs> episode two. I mean, he basically I mean, again, maybe that could be explained. Like I'm thinking like, maybe they could have explained that as he thought he was like imagining things or something. The first, cause the first I time mean, it happened. Okay. <laughs> But again, you are they not don't supposed have... to answer the questions because there is no answer. No, that, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> there is no like they could have. I, that's I feel like there were a lot of things that maybe could have been explained, but they just didn't bother to do it. And that was this one. Like, why didn't they give us like why didn't Leon react to like when the he fact first is, saw a movie? The fact there were scales, literally yeah. scales, and she looked. Ex- yeah. She looked exactly the same as she did 600 years ago when the scales appeared too. Like. She was reincarnated and with the same face. When the scales appeared, they appeared on her neck, just like before, and on her hands. Like, there was no mistaking what was happening when he saw those scales. Okay. And then to close out the island, because, again, like, I'm not really sure what the island ultimately meant to be. Like, I believe it was tied up with a Moogie. Like, there was the sacrifice basically do something with Amugi, although Amugi was mostly in her. So I still am like a little bit unclear on that. But then we see Lee Rang, who is a very charismatic Kim Bum, who plays Lee Yun's younger brother, who is like bad boy to the core, like kind of like bad boy with all the boo-boos in his heart. He comes to the island and he's got like a bundle. And later we see that bundle's a baby that he gives to another guy who ends up being a bad guy and we know that that is also a moogie <laughs> but like i don't know when he gives the bundle is that just like a bundle of bones is the baby like eventually we see a baby but i don't know if the baby's actually in the bundle and i'm still not sure why we have a moogie 2.0 in the situation but for the rest of the show we have a splintered Amugi because later they say, Oh, Amugi was splintered in like the sacrifice that went wrong. But Amugi, I don't see how that's possible. <laughs> because, right, the big WTF there is if, if full Amugi was always in her body, why did they need a new body for Amugi when Amugi wanted to be in her body from the beginning? 
And why? And if Amugi wanted to leave that body, I don't know why Amugi would want to leave that body because what we learn is Amugi's end game is he wants to. Do- I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Amuki's end game is that Amuki wants to take over Leon's body so that apparently like he'll get some, like the god power. Right. And that will make him more powerful. So I don't know why Amuki would want to leave the body <laughs> of Gia, who is obviously perfect bait, being like the reincarnation of like his dead love to like go jump ship to be in this whole other body and then there's also something that we haven't even talked about which is the fox speed and the fox speed is a glowing orb orb that leon put in Aum's mouth as she was dying you know 600 years ago with the moogie and her at that point saying like i'm going to use that to find you again and then he's always looking for someone who has the fox speed even though he's hanging out with gia caesar as a child Hangs with Gia quite a bit. Like, he's pretty sure the Fox Speed's not in Gia. Spoiler. I guess there was tears for some reason. I don't, I'm not sure, Megan, you might understand this better, but apparently all of a sudden, like, the Fox Speed appeared. <laughs> like, he was with her quite a bit before the Fox Speed appeared. And the Fox Beard was making Amugi sleep in her. Right. The Amugi couldn't take over when the Fox Speed was there, except on the island. Because <laughs> it did come out the island. <laughs> Because it comes out when she gets Come, hurt. Right. It comes out when there's blood. Fox, when speed, she fox speed or not. But, like, so she okay. never got hurt her entire life until that moment. Right. Like, <laughs> okay, I mean, okay, right? Okay. She never bled. Basically, the island, we just don't understand. We don't understand. They never really closed any of those plot threads. So I want to do the next WTF. Because, okay. 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 We're moving on. The, we're moving off the island. If you're confused, okay. trust me. We're, e- we're as confused as you might know. be right now. And it's gonna it's gonna get worse. The third WTF was what was up with post hell Leon Vans. <laughs> oh, this is my favorite. I'm sorry, this, this episode's ridiculous. Okay, so the part where he's in hell, that's actually one of our things we loved about it. So we will get to that, but let me just say he had to go to hell and it was terrible, obviously. He almost died, but he had to complete a task in hell so he could quickly get back to Gia because she was in trouble. She was being chased by children ghosts who were absolutely terrifying. And never it never factored into the story again. But we don't nope. we still don't really know the story. why. And we don't really know what they were actually gonna do to her, but they wanted her body. Give us your body is what they were saying. Oh yeah, right, right. Okay. So everyone wanted Gia, <laughs> <laughs> including the hero. Dang. Like there's a lot of people in the world. Ghosts, get someone else. But anyway, he <laughs> returns from hell. She's literally falling off a building. So she would, the, the child ghost like pushed her off a building. So she definitely was going to die or be severely injured <laughs> or like a cranial fracture or something. <laughs> there was going to be a boo <laughs> Shattered pelvis. Something. Okay, anyway. <laughs> oh, God. I might need more alcohol. <laughs> a broken tibia. I don't know. Anyway, so. <laughs> He's in hell, shirtless. <laughs> of course. Like he's he's been working out, too. He's been working out a lot. Like He's there with, like, no shirt, no shoes, and just, like, wide-leg linen pants. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do love the linen pants. That was, I would, I want to borrow those. I would have okay, added that to my Eileen Fisher collection. <sighs> okay, so he's in hell with no shirt, no shoes, and just these, like, wide-leg linen pants apparently because that's what you do in hell and so when he completes his task at the very last minute 
and he returns to Earth's surface to save Gia. He's changed his clothes, apparently. Like, I don't he's know. He's almost dead, too, though. He's almost dead. Like, <laughs> oh, he's, he's almost al- died. Yeah, he almost died. He's, like, severely injured. He's been stabbed by magic hell knives that were flying yeah. through the air. Probably, like, 3,000 knives have right. severed, so, like, his flesh. But yet he's wearing, like, this nice, like, white shirt, pants. And the best part is he's, like, so he saves her from, from falling and he's lying on the ground on his back with like his, you know, one leg straight out, one leg perfectly ve- bent to show off his vans. Like <laughs> it was the best product placement. Like that yeah. used to be like, at what point were the vans like, okay, so at what point in the movie are you going to be showing the product? And they were yeah. like, well, we've got the perfect shot. <laughs> yeah. Or like, or did, or is there another shot where he was wearing these vans and, and the vans company was like, that's not enough. We need to be a more prominent scene. And they were like, well, <laughs> screw it. We'll just put him in when he saves her after he gets out of hell like why yeah. is he wearing these vans like that is because you need you need foot protection when you are coming back from hell and catching your woman after she's fallen off like a skyscraper product placement for me i know like sometimes people get sick of it i just really enjoy it in the k dramas but this van's gratuitous like loving long frame to close in van's shot post hell right. It's so obvious that they're showing these vans and they're a pretty unique colorway. So it was like just really and and I think he's wearing neutral clothes in order to show off these like vans. And yeah. it just I mean, it was a really poignant scene and I loved it. I did, but I could not stop talking about these vans. For four, we have WTF was up with the chairman not huffing the parents. Okay. And I I said what I said, which is <laughs> I said what I said. <laughs> The chairman not huffing the parents. So what we find out is, dear God, okay, the parents have been taken and you gotta go like the accident that happens in the creepy canyon at the beginning. And we find out later, and this is cool, but that it's not cool, is they've been taken and like turned into like some kind of a rendered into some kind of a smoke like their body and soul together and then that has been sucked into these chinese lantern flowers which are these red dangling flowers so the souls are inside of them and we see this plant featured quite a lot at so Gia's boss at the broadcasting company like the ceo he's like the henchman for umugi the lizard or the serpent and Chairman's lived a very unnaturally long time as the servant to Amugi. And we find out he's been extending his life with the Chinese lantern plants. There's all these like people essentially in the flowers. And he takes the flowers from time to time and, and huffs them. And that gives him new life, which honestly, like, that's fine. The thing that I find hilarious is that like, I don't know how you identify which plant is which or which flower is which so the fact that Gia's parents and we still we we never understand why they were sucked into the plant but then my other question just became how did he know not to suck those parents life energy like did he like mark them with like a little like you know magic marker dot like don't touch those because apparently it was really important to like keep the parents for some reason I'm guessing it's collateral although I still don't understand why that is even a thing but essentially the parents lived in the plant the chairman huffed a lot of flowers from the plant but never huffed the parents that's it that's the plot or that's the that's WTF. It. that's it I mean there's nothing else to say that's it <laughs> that's it and kind of going along with that is our next WTF which is WTF was up with Gia's parents coming back and having no questions because they were 
their souls, their being was was in these lantern flowers for 20 years. And when they are brought back, and we don't get to see how they're brought back, but nope. poof, they come back. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> poof. They come and none back. of the other none of the other flowers were brought back. That's no, why just like, them. That's what really highlighted, like, how did they know those were them in that flower? So they come back and they meet their now 29-year-old daughter who has been living alone for 20 years. <laughs> Raising herself. Raising herself, putting out flyers like they're lost kitties. And lost kitties. Once, one time, one time, when they are sitting outside enjoying a beverage, they say, you know, we were gone for 20 years. I wonder where we were. That's it. That's and all then, like, that's ever brought up. And Gia, Gia seems like a little worried. But like never were they like, s- no questions, no questions. No asked. questions at all. Like not anything about what happened to Gia in the past 20 years. Like who who freaking raised her? Because I'm still asking that question. No question about their daughter. No question about the man she's dating who does not have a job or a family or anything but bought them a car. No question about why she seems like she's scared all the time. No question about why she tells them to stay in the house. And never and not talk do- to anyone. And never talk to anybody. Don't answer the door. Don't let anybody in. So basically, welcome home. Nobody knows where you've been for 20 years. Let's just go back to being a family. I'm going to sleep in the middle of you two in the bed so that we can all be together again. And no questions asked. They're just back 20 years. Felt like they just woke up from a long nap and that's it. So to tie this back into the island, because I'm never over the island too, is the parents, we know the parents went to the island and the parents never like ask any questions about the island and what they were looking for on the island. And we also know from like earlier parts of the movie during some pretty creepy scenes that the mom was concerned enough about Gia possibly having something like inside of her or like she knew something wasn't right with Gia so that she had Gia the day that they disappeared undergo hypnosis in during hypnosis basically a moogie like wakes up and is like present and then like we see like a flash that like the parents were talking in the car like basically like something's not right right before they were taken so when they come back 20 years later like whatevs like that didn't matter (laughs) that didn't matter at all like the the crushing fear they were demonstrating of like something being deeply wrong with their daughter like not an issue like they would have ptsd like that's why i kept like and and i mean that like i'm not making light of ptsd i'm saying like they would have some sort of reaction some sort of post-traumatic stress disorder like there is no way they would just wake up and be like okay like i remember they're sitting outside and they're just like that tree's gotten really big it's like well yeah it's been 20 years and you don't have any other questions than about how your tree's gotten big <laughs> yeah no they know how to use they know how to use a smartphone it's all good yeah she, she had to teach how to, them how to use the smartphone that's it but like yeah nothing else 20 years of their life lost i mean they didn't age so that's great they look fantastic but yeah 20 years gone mm-hmm. Poof. all right moving on WTF was up with Lee Dong Wook's sex neck vein not being given a show credit. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a WTF that's also a compliment. It is. Okay, so I got to give credit to the show for like going all in and actually alluding to a sex scene. Like they actually had her removing his shirt, which I was like, oh, this is, you know, kind of racy for a K-drama. And I I just got to say, Lee Dong Wook kisses like, I mean, I only see it. But, like, he's got the whole head tilt. I want to know what it's like. I'm not saying I want to be kissed by Lee Dong-wook. I'm married. But I really want to talk to someone who's been kissed by Lee Dong-wook. But that's not the point. So they're making out. And she takes off his shirt. And they sh- clearly show. I mean, I almost feel like they were trying it. They show <laughs> a perfect shot of him, like, 
straining over her with this like bulging neck vein and it, i literally had to pause the show and like text them text <laughs> Amy and, Leah, and i was like neck vein was so prominent like i feel like they had to be like tapping that no, shit they knew they had to know they had to know Does i guarantee you always like a have feet. a neck vein that's that powerful or did they like no. did they pump that neck vein to like get it he goes all in okay he's a method actor no, I, don't really <laughs> I don't really know <laughs> i don't know it wasn't amazing the neck vein really did deserve a credit it did. It deserved its own billing. It should be like on the trailer. It was. There should amazing. be a K drama that's just the we neck don't vein. Sex vein? Yeah. <laughs> it's just called. It's just called neck vein. Sex 16, neck vein. Sixteen hours of Lee Dong Wook's neck. <laughs> sex neck with the, with the, the sex neck. Okay, I'm doing the next one. Okay. Okay. So that was a high. That was a high note. Now we're going yeah. back to a low note. WTF was up with the Amugi eggs. So, again, the Amugi no is a serpent, which, you know, after apparently like a thousand years, it could ascend to become a dragon. Like, you know, reptiles lay eggs. All of that holds. However, when Amugi decides to, like, start to unleash, like, plague across Seoul, possibly the world, we just really see it in Seoul. One of the side effects of the people who are infected with the plague, besides having like red blotchy skin and intense itching, is they kind of do this like slow-mo gagging and then they cough up an amugi egg. And I don't know if the egg is bloody coming out or if it's just bloody because they keep on <laughs> barfing them onto the floor and then they crack and there's blood. But anyway, there's like a moogie eggs just like popping out of people's bodies. And I was like, okay, I guess like, are we going to have like, we have the moogie who's in G-Op, the same exact moogie is also in <laughs> the intern who we're going to talk about later. <laughs> and that's what I mean. They're, her intern also has a moogie in her. And then... <laughs> Like the public at large is like coughing up Amugi eggs. But like, I was like, so are they going to hatch? And then like Amugi, so like, I don't know, like how Amugi mates and like Amugi doesn't seem to like have like be bound to the laws of like human, like, you know, reptile biology and that it needs to like mate to have these eggs. Although I don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> but I don't know. Like they never say like what the Amugi and like, we never see any lizards or snakes or dragons come out of the egg there's no hatching there's no hatching they just happen they just happen they They come out they hit the ground they crack and we see some blood and then like we're on to the next amugi egg basically and we never get any context to like what the amugi egg was all about like it was it self-seeding itself so through some sort of self reproductive (laughs) i don't know there's just eggs and we don't know why and this plays into the next wtf which is WTF was up with playing the claw game during the plague. (laughs) So here's the thing. So before they spit up the Amugi eggs, I think that's kind of one of like the last things they do. So the reason they're doing that is they're all Amugi has spread a plague. Like he had said, Gia, if you don't give me your body, I'm going to spread a plague. And so he did. And in honesty, it was pretty terrible. Like the people would get spots and then they would collapse, cough up an egg, and a lot of them would die. And you're making it make sense, like, gee, I want your body. Oh, that makes sense. Right. I Moogie is also in Gia. Like, it itself, right, as an entity, is also right. Yeah, not only is it just a fraction of itself, <laughs> apparently the whole Moogie, except for a tiny fraction, is in her. So, meanwhile, people are literally dropping like flies. Like, they do imply that in, like, one day, it was, like, 900 people. Then they show, <laughs> they show Gia and Lee Yun, like, basically going on a date. 
right, tomorrow we're going to fight a Mugi. But meanwhile, people are literally dropping like flies. Like they show people mm-hmm. just dropping in the street. <laughs> and, and then there's like happy music with like Gia and Leo and just like going on an arcade game. <laughs> <laughs> playing a claw game play and i i mean i remember i texted amy and leah and i was like not them playing the claw game during a plague like what is happening like, yeah and i mean like i get it, it they deserve to find happiness where they I can just, find it but it did seem odd to be like okay we're gonna walk down the street step over the bodies of the dead and dying right. and the amugi eggs and play the claw game and like some video games like where was the urgency <laughs> the fact that people were dying tomorrow tomorrow we'll worry about it tomorrow right. today we'll tomorrow today we are winning the claw game right and they did they got two foxes they did mm-hmm. and it was a really cute scene like don't get me wrong i love the arcade scene i loved it they like really bonded but in the back of my mind i kept thinking like people are dot like i just kept thinking of the of the keeping up with the kardashians gif where courtney kardashians like kim there's people that are dying i just kept <laughs> over and over in my head i just kept saying kim there's people that are dying and you're playing the claw game we could have had the arcade montage earlier i think they could have pulled that scene up earlier if they really need the claw game in this one <laughs> that's what i was gonna say is i love the convention of the claw game at the arcade happening in almost every k drama i've watched but it did not happen at the most <laughs> opportune time in tale of the nine tailed i feel like the writers like did they get to the plague and then they're like shit we did not fit in the claw like just okay we gotta stop everything the claw needs to be now forget about all the people with like red dots all over their skin dying forget the amugi eggs the bloody amugi eggs they need to have one normal date before they save the world okay okay and then our final final wtf and not our final in the world just for no but our final one that we're going to share on on this podcast because we don't have time to do all of the wtfs we had to pare it down but if you watch tale of the nine-tailed and don't share this one wtf then we need to have a discussion because (laughs) I even texted Leah when I was watching episode 15. I'm like, okay, you know what? Episode 15 went down and I I enjoyed it. And I think maybe this will pull itself together with 16. That even though there are some way lost plot threads that we're going to pull it back together in episode 16. We're going to have one plot thread. One plot thread. One. So to give it some context, Leon's big wish was that if he dies killing a Mugi, which, spoiler, he does, that if he dies he would be able to come back as a human and live as a human with Gia and have a normal life. They even do this little, you know, play pretend game where they pretend like they're husband and wife and they're both human and it's really cute. And so that's his one wish. So when he comes back, he tells her, do you still want to be with me? Because I'm human now. He comes back human, supposedly, and says, do you still want me if I can't save you, if I can't protect you? And she's like, you know, absolutely. I love you. Like, I want you. This is what I wanted, blah, blah, blah. And he goes so far as to reflect on what it's like to be human from having an astigmatism and needing glasses to getting a freaking root canal. <laughs> and then final And I scene. love that. It was super endearing. I it love was, that I, part. I loved it. I and loved I was, it. And then I was all in when that happened. Yeah, I was. So, I was like, all right, I forgive the show for everything. The, yes. human, the human god is like, yeah, I gotta go. And he has to go to the dentist. It's a big thing. He's like, I'm super scared to go to the dentist. She has to help him. It's like a whole thing. It's a really funny scene. It is. And then the final scene of the show is just sleeping. He climbs out of bed. He's got his like nice fox clothes on again. And he grabs his umbrella, which the umbrella was always the hidden fox sword. 
And he goes outside because there have been rumors of a supernatural being causing trouble in the neighborhood. And it cursed, and- it cursed Gia. Gia said, oh, I came across like whatever he was, the mischief god. And apparently I'm going to like have bad luck for nine years or something. Right. And so he goes outside and he finds this masked creature and his eyes turn gold and his umbrella turns into a sword. And there we have it. He Final smiled. shot. He smiles. He smiles. And he lifts the sword. And he's, and, a he's a, and he's a fox. And he's a fox. And I, I so, have to- wait, wait. I just, I the the, the WTF <laughs> that I have of this yeah. is it's not just WTF. Was he always a fox? Did he turn a fox when he got back? It doesn't even matter to me when he became a fox. If he was never a human, or if he was a human and became a fox, what matters to me is that now he is lying about being human. <laughs> At what point is is he going to say to Gia, okay, so you see how you're 65 <laughs> and you have gray hair and I am still my beautiful fox self? Well, I have to tell you something. Like, what game is this that he is going to pretend to be human? Did he pretend to get a root canal? Is he pretend <laughs> wearing glasses? Like, how far is he going to pretend that he's human? That he would he sit through a root, a root canal? canal? <laughs> okay, so I read something that, and again, like, this could be plausible, However, okay, let me just say it. So I saw a couple, like, there's a lot of people who, because when this finished, I was like, I got to see what people have to say about this. And there's a lot of people out there who desperately want to make sense of this story. And lots of, like, kind of conspiracy theories or wild, like, you know, things that can tie into this, that can tie into this. And, you know, a lot of it I was pretty skeptical on. But there was a bit about the Gumio like, mythology and one of the things apparently is if like a Gumi wants to become human, it can like live for a certain amount of time with a human woman. And if she never finds out he's human, then he's allowed to like actually he or she, like they can become a human as opposed to a Fox. Like, okay. I'm not going to argue with like folklore and mythology. I'm not sure if that's where they were going with this. And if that's where they were going with this, like at some point, I think like you need to signal something somewhere in the plot, something to make it make sense. (laughs) Yeah, so I have two things about that. So I have to be honest, I was all in, and then that last scene came. And I have to be honest, as someone who really loved this whole drama, despite all the issues, that scene bothered me. And it really affected my lasting feeling. And that bummed me out. So this is the thing. I'm pretending that didn't happen. And that's, <laughs> that's fair. Just, I mean, I feel like that. that's my prerogative as a consumer. I'm pretending that last scene where his eyes glowed, even though he's really hot when he has his eyes glow. Mm-hmm. I'm pretending that didn't happen. And I do want to say this because Leah said like she thinks a lot of people are trying to make sense of it. And I do think that is a common feeling when something doesn't quite make sense. It's okay to just enjoy something. It's okay. I mean, if you want, if it's really fun for you to look up theories, that's okay. I just want to say it's okay if you just enjoy something. I enjoyed it. I don't need to make perfect sense of all of it. And that's another reason I'm just going to pretend he's still human. It's my prerogative. Yeah, no, it's your prerogative. And I don't know. I mean, I feel like I was on board with all the like things that were happening that were, you know, not normally things I would watch. It was just when none of it, like, I kept thinking, oh, my God, this is brilliant. And I have no idea what this is all going to ultimately mean. And when it nothing meant anything. <laughs> That's kind of a bummer. It's it is. A, it yeah. is. One thing, though, that I personally think the show did was keep the characterizations. The plot is what let me down. The characters were not. The characters and were amazing. 100%. And I think that that is why when the characterizations let me down, that is when I have a harder time connecting with a show 
even if the plot's insane, I really need to be all in on the characters. So when the characters really hook me, like they did in this show, I was willing to just pretend. Yeah, no, I have no quibble. I have no quibble with the characters. I have no quibble with the actors because I felt like everyone did really act their hearts out in what they were given. So we are going to hit pause on our Tale of the Nine-Tailed talk to do our favorite part of the episode, which is our Wreck of the Week. So it's my turn to make a K-pop recommendation, and I'm very excited about this one. So this is a new song that I have been playing nonstop, a ridiculous amount. Not only the song itself, but also the music video, which is just visually stunning. So it is called I'm Not Cool, and it's by Hyuna, who is a solo artist. It's got a really fun beat. So again, the title is I'm Not Cool, yet she is the coolest person I think I've ever seen. And I saw a couple behind the scenes of the music video, and she even says, she's like, you know, the lyrics are, of course, she's talking in Korean, so I'm reading the subtitles, but she's saying the lyrics are I'm Not Cool, but yet all these sets are really cool, and they are. They're stunning. She's an amazing dancer, and really, it's an addicting song. And I think as soon as you watch the dance that goes with it, along with her fabulous backup dancers, you'll be totally hooked. So put it on your Spotify playlist and listen to I'm Not Cool by Hyanna. So now that we talked about our WTFs, we are going to talk about nine things that we did love about Tale of the Nine-Tailed. Okay, so these are our oh yeses. Oh yes to the Lee brothers fighting back to back in Green Juice Ajuma's Nightmare World, or better known as the Hungry Ghost or Agui Forest. This was by and large, I think, one of my favorite scenes of the entire drama. Leon and Lee Rang fighting back to back with the zombie-like hungry ghosts in the forest in the sort of nightmare world that they are stuck in. And that to me, even though it was terrifying, it was also very, very exciting. And it was amazing action and then also amazing emotion when it is basically it's the brother's reconciliation it is leon explaining to his brother that he never truly abandoned him and that throughout the years even though yes technically he did leave the mountain and the forest burned and all of that stuff um that he never truly abandoned his brother and has always sort of been looking out for him even though he didn't realize it yeah i think the lee brothers relationship which is very complicated I think overall that was one of all of our favorite mm-hmm. parts about the show and this scene again like Amy said what was so great about it, it it was visually stunning I mean the cinematography of the way the camera panned when they went back to back with their weapons so Lee Ryan had his hatchet and Leon had his sword so they went back to back surrounded by these zombie like ghosts So it was visually stunning, but you also understood the emotion of the scene. And again, I always think that I do think that was always the high point of this show is the inner personal relationships between the characters. That was done very well. And I think the brotherhood between the Lee brothers was hands down probably the best relationship arc of the show. I would even hesitate to say. Well, no, I wouldn't hesitate to say. No, the the only times that I truly sobbed in the show were for the brothers yeah they were fantastic lee rang had an arc so out of all the characters i will say that like lee rang's character had a very clear arc and so not only did kim bum act the crap out of the role that arc held the entire time like that character was on a journey and it he got somewhere 
Yes. Right. So applause to the writers for at least getting that part right because his arc was fantastic. Okay. In that nightmare world, there was a really creepy gatekeeper, like nursery rhyme that kept playing. And so if you watch oh, that, yes. like, I want to give a shout out to that really creepy nursery rhyme song with the children's voices. This show was legitimately kind of scary. Well, that doesn't make any sense. It was legitimately kind of scary. It was scary. Full stop. I would watch parts of it with my eyes squinting towards the beginning. It, it got markedly less scary as it went on because they decided just like that didn't matter anymore. But, <laughs> you know, when it was trying to be kind of like this horror paranormal romance, that's when it was working really well. So the weird, they basically get locked in this world and like the song is like singing about how they're kind of like trapped. So number two is... Oh, yes, to Lee Yun crawling across the Hellbridge. Okay, so we did briefly mention this, but this is where we got to go again. So I'm going to try and briefly say this, but basically Lee Yun was being punished because he killed a human on the island to save Jia. Okay, so his punishment was to be in hell for seven days or hell adjacent something. <laughs> One of the hells. Okay, hell and adjacent. he was there chained again with his... <laughs> no shirt and his wide leg when it linen pants <laughs> and i guess he like sensed that something was happening to gia that's when she was being chased by the ghost and so granny who we'll get to but essentially she is the keeper of the river that takes them to hell the sam docion so she basically says okay you can get out of hell faster if you crawl across this bridge to like real hell instead of just like hell adjacent but you have to do it as a human so you're gonna feel everything and so he says i'm gonna do it because again this is like the love of you know he'll do anything for gia so he takes a step on this bridge and these silver knives start flying at him and in honesty i don't understand how he wasn't just completely shredded yeah shredded i mean you know but I have to give a huge shout out to Lee Dong Wook because this was a very physical scene. He had to have a lot of control over his body because he was injured as the knives were flying. They were hitting some parts of his body and he was in extreme pain because he wasn't a fox at the time. He was like he had human pain levels, I guess you would say. He's trying to walk. Eventually he falls and then he lays flat on his back and he's like half dying. But then he remembers Gia's face and he knows he has to move on and he gets up and he's like crawling hand over hand and it is like so i mean it is i have to admit a very fantastic scene you see all his pain and i, I mean i got to the end i'm like this was an insanely good scene and we all agreed and i said that it felt i compared it to cloy when captain Ree crawled through the tunnel between north and south korea for 20 hours with the no rest and no food. yeah so i kind of said is crawling across a bridge to hell dodging flying knives is that the new crawling through a tunnel for 20 hours yeah it was a fantastic scene oh yes to leon kissing gia when she wears the hanbok and she calls him out so the context to this is they go to some sort of like historical reenactment village and like gods hang out there which i did like you know in period costumes and things and so they're there to like see about a few things and this is earlier in their relationship and he goes off to like, I don't know, do something. And she rents a humbuck and then is on this bridge and the bridge has all these veils kind of blowing on it in the wind. And he, very pretty. Yeah, it's very beautiful. She looks beautiful. She's in this humbuck and she is the reincarnation of the princess who died, uh -um, who, you know, would have worn traditional dress as well. And so he approaches starts to go over the bridge, sees her, and sees her 
basically looking exactly picture perfect like his dead first love is overwhelmed by his feels rushes to her grabs her kisses her and she realizes quite quickly into the kiss that he's not kissing gia like he's not kissing her as a heroine he's kissing uh um who she is also but like you know her reincarnated self and so she basically ends up like pushing him off and saying like not today like you know like basically calls him out and is like you know you weren't here you're not doing this for me you're doing this for your past and you know i'm the present yeah i really love that that was one of the scenes that really started to hook me into the characters of the show because i really appreciated that they addressed that because we all knew we all you know the viewers knew and i like that gia was smart enough to say no and i'm I'm glad it didn't end up being this like misunderstanding i'm just glad that it was called on the carpet right away and gia had some other moments like that where for a while she thought that leon had killed her in their previous life and then eventually she says to him you know what i know though that there's two sides to a story and i know that there are different perspectives so let me hear your side and i was like oh my gosh we cleared up a misunderstanding in a romance plot. This is incredible. You know, and I, I really loved that. I love the communication between them. Yeah, she was very frank and very straightforward with him. And that worked out really well for me. And that's why that kiss, like we had that talk about that kiss. And that's why that kiss didn't strike me as super romantic because I knew he wasn't kissing Gia, that he was kissing um. But I'm glad that she called him out on that. And I'm glad that he owned up to it. And it wasn't this big sort of, you know, bump in the road for them. Mm-hmm. It happened. They got over it. And I loved the kiss because I think it was like, I loved it particularly because he wasn't kissing her. It was just like that conflict of like reconciling like your past and your heartbreak. And so it was very complicated. And that's probably why I liked it. I don't know. I have to say me, that kiss to me, looking back was almost maybe of a goodbye because I feel like that was the point on where mm-hmm. he dedicated himself to getting to know Gia in the present. Because I will say that that is one thing they did really well, in my opinion, about this romance, is they made it very clear why he was falling for Gia in the present. I never believed towards the end that he was still like in love with nope. previous Aum. He really fell for who Gia was in the present and, and he I, even said it he said i'm gonna close he's at one point yeah. he says to her i'm gonna close that door and from now on i see you as gia and gia only and that was really great right mm-hmm. i love i i really did love that but i feel like part of that happened because she advocated for herself yes exactly she was she was she was great our next one i think is a favorite for all of us oh yes to intern imugi <laughs> because oh my gosh because Imugi, in his now human form, he grows exponentially fast from the pile of bones or whatever he was when Li Rang had him on the island to a baby, to a child, to an adult because he feeds off of people, which is lovely. He drains them and then he grows like another few years. So adult Imugi, in order to get close to Gia, and because he is his caretaker is the, like his guardian is the CEO of the company that she works for. The CEO puts Imugi into her office as an intern. So this serpent who wants to be a god who can make people drop like flies is now an intern in her office. And she is and also like, that too, though. Remember that. She is also that. <laughs> she's also an Imugi. Yes. She's, so, no, she's not also an Imugi. She is also the same exact Imugi. He's, she is him. She is him. She is more him than he's him. She's. <laughs> <laughs> she's, because we find she's out the much, biggest part of a Mookie. Like she's yes, almost we found all out later. 
We found out later when when a moogie splintered that only a tiny bit of a moogie went into the intern moogie, and the rest was still in Gia. Yes, yeah, so a moogie, full of moogie, is now working in the office, <laughs> but only half a moogie knows this. And to the extent he plays up his intern role so hard that they have a company dinner to welcome the new intern, and he has to take off in middle of the dinner because there's a moogie business to take care of. <laughs> And she, Gia, follows him from the table because he just, he all of a sudden just like gets up and walks out. No explanation. Right. She follows him and is like, you're being rude. This dinner is for you. Go back and sit down. And he does. Yeah, he's all like, oh, man. And he's got a lanyard. Like, Amugi's wearing the lanyard. Amugi. But, okay, he first, but okay. he can give you a plague and make you, he can tell you to jump off a building and you will. But he, he but, can't leave a freaking dinner. He can't leave a dinner to do his world-ending business. Nope, no, he can't do it. And so, intern Amugi. Okay, first of all, Amugi is hot. Like he is smoking. Even with the bowl. I love. I'm all in on the bowl cut. I don't know what people have with bowl. Like I have got a bowl cut thing at this point. And intern Amugi wears that bowl cut. Like I don't even know. Like Lee Yon wore his Vans after hell. <laughs> and he <laughs> he i just okay so the thing that i love so much is that intern and moogie like is basically when the story turned from like being a plausible movie that was going to come or you know drama that was going to come together and like i began to suspect <laughs> like we weren't gonna go anywhere good however and this is, again, why this drama is such a paradox to me is because Intern Amugi is, like, brilliant. And I have made this case over and over because I'm obsessed with Intern Amugi is that Intern Amugi should have his own show. <laughs> I want to, like, work with, like, you know, the K-drama industry to, like, make a Amugi internship happen. It's like an office rom-com with like an exasperated serpent who wants to end the world, but also like is kind of in love with his boss. It's like a Nuna romance. And they also touched like a little bit, like I thought they were going to give us this like a Moogie, like the darkness of a Moogie calling to the darkness of like the other, well, himself in like Gia's body. And, you know, I thought we were going to have this kind of like bride of darkness situation. You know, he's like, I like her. I want her i want to like whatever i like we we're never quite clear what exactly was going to happen but like you know i thought it was going somewhere like dark and kind of good it didn't but <laughs> intern amugi just like as a like the fact that intern amugi like you know it's like the intern amugi we had along the way like this this is going to stick with me forever like intern amugi is so special to me on so many levels also, I want to give a shout out to another character I really enjoyed in this drama, and that is an oh yes to Yuri. So Yuri is a fox who is half Korean, half Russian, and was abused and kind of moved around to zoos and was eventually rescued by Lee Rang. And like at the beginning, they're both like very gleefully bad, right? Like they like to eat people's livers, which would kill them. Like they're definitely like murdering happy foxes who are like up to no good, but in a way that's like kind of adorable for like you know sociopathic killers and again like with the friends you find along the way like yuri finds love with basically like the minion to leon the mountain god who is living in modern day as like a veterinarian who can talk to animals 
And we like to call him Dr. Doolittle. But she (laughs) finds love with Dr. Doolittle. And she just kind of like, she learns to love herself, I feel like, enough that like she's able to accept love. And in the end, she has a nice arc too. So given that there's so many loose threads everywhere, like Yuri's character has like a really nice through arc throughout the whole thing. Yeah, I agree. I liked her arc and I thought she also still stayed herself like the last scene they show of her she's just so very much yuri still but she's you know? not eating livers of like innocent no but- no she's just leaving her socks all over the yes. apartment <laughs> and she's still she's tough you know like she still is willing to defend the people that she loves and kind of willing to do whatever she can for the people she loves so our next one is oh yes the lee brothers making death videos so this is the part that nearly broke me i actually texted amy and leah and said i am not emotionally capable right now of watching these scenes like i was crying so hard because again the lee brother relationship i have always loved brother relationships like in books just i write a lot of brothers in pretty much all my books so i just i just love i love brothers at separate times both leon and lee rang knew that they were going to die or at least they thought they would. So they made what we call like death videos, essentially saying they made essentially death videos to each other. Goodbye videos, yeah. They were incredibly emotional. They were being vulnerable in a way they've never been vulnerable to each other in real life. But they were willing to do it on video because they knew that this was the end. And I just couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I cried so hard at these videos. But they were also really touching. And again, I thought the way they they fulfilled the arcs of this, because I feel like the relationship between the brothers was almost a character in itself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I talked about this early on. You know, it's fresh in my mind because my daughter, I have a 15-year-old daughter who's very into vampire books and vampire shows, and she's watching The Vampire Diaries, which was a favorite of mine when it was first on. So I'm I'm re-watching a lot of it with her. And I get very big Damon and Stefan vibes from Lee Rang and Leon to the extent where you think one's a baddie in the beginning. And then, you know, at the end, it's all come full circle. And both the brothers have had this arc where they're at odds and then they reconcile and then, you know, at odds again and back and forth. And mm-hmm. I love that, that sort of, especially with somebody like Lee Rang, who is, you think a villain, but he's truly not a villain. He's just somebody who lost his way. For a little while, for emotional reasons. I mean, and, for hundreds and, of years, but yes, yes, but you know, but like comes comes back right. around, and like like to the extent where I love that Leon says to him in his death video, "You'd be a much better public servant than that, like a murderous fox or or whatever than a villain." And so it was just you know there was that relationship really got me. That for me, that was the strongest relationship in the entire drama. Right. So Leon talks a lot about how when Lee Rang was a little kid, he wet his bed. He wet the bed. And in his video, I I think it was in the video. I don't think he said it in person, but I could be wrong. He said, you've really grown up bedwetter. And I I know it sounds out of context. It sounds weird, but I swear in the show, it just I was like, (gasps) I mean, it made me cry so hard. It was it was really lovely. Yeah, I don't have much to add. It did not make me cry, but that doesn't mean I didn't like it. So at this point, I think I was probably just like not in at this point. So it didn't hit me in the way that like it needed to for me to have like a cathartic experience. I shed zero tears this entire drama, (laughs) but I did like this scene and I thought it was sweet. And I really like the idea of like, you know, you can say your feelings to someone at like that, like pivotal point, but also only when they're not there. So I like the death videos a lot. And then we have, oh, yes, 
to all the facial expressions from Lee Yun's fight smirk to Jia's amugi smile to Lee Rang's crazy eye. And I agree with every single one of these. Leon had a smirk that was, oh my goodness, just. I don't, I like, there is a scene, I believe, is it on the island, the island that made no sense? When I do um, think it was. Yes, because so it was when they're in the forest there. Okay, so Lee Rang also, like, basically trying to, like, kill G uh, all the time at the beginning because he's a naughty fox who is, like, desperate for his brother's attention and affection and, like, doesn't know what to do. So he just does all the bad things, including trying to, like, kill his woman. And so he, like, throws all these rocks at them. And you see Leon, like, grabs his trench coat and holds it up as a shield to like deflect the rocks and he makes this eye contact at Jia he was like always an eyebrow waggler in this movie like I don't or in this uh, drama I don't think I've seen him like wiggle his eyebrows quite as much in anything else but like his eyebrows really were doing a lot of work in this and he does like the eyebrow lift and it's so smug but so confident and just like so smooth that I mean that that facial expression lives rent-free in my mind one of my favorite things was Jia Jia when she was a Moogie and she smiled. I mean, she smiled so much throughout the whole drama and how that smile could change when she was a Moogie. It was fantastic. Yeah, I could look I at a picture it. and say, that's a Moogie. Right? Like, how did she do that? That's crazy acting. Crazy. I loved it so yeah. much. And then I like that Lee Rang was kind of just like nihilistic and he just had that, like, he often would smile, making horrible threats. And then, you know, his mouth is smiling. He is quite like, he's very attractive, but in like kind of a cute way. But like his eyes just always looked like he was ready to eat your liver. Yeah. <laughs> and still I had like huge second male lead syndrome with him. I did. Just, like Kim Bum killed it in this role. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I can't wait to see what else he's going to do from here. But yeah, I felt like he leveled up a lot. And then, oh, yes to Blackie, and also <laughs> Lee Rang as Steve Harrington. So the setup for this is there is a godlike device that Lee Rang ends up getting, and it's called the Tiger's Brow, and it basically is a pair of glasses. But it's, you know, from the underworld. And when you wear these glasses, you can see a person's past life. So he comes across this little boy, and it's a little boy that how many, how many K-dramas has this little boy been in that we've seen so far, Amy? I think at least three. Okay. He's been in King, the Eternal Monarch, and Her Private Life. And then and this, this one. And maybe something else. He's real I cute. Right right He's real cute. Yeah. Well cut, smiley, good personality. And so anyway, and this is another child that apparently in this world, like children just like, like he's not homeless. Like he has a home, but like he's just always like out and about, but he's like five. And so yes. this like kid is like following him around all the time. And Lee Rang is like, you know, like a murderous, like serial killing fox. And this like cute little boy is like all over it. And so at one point he looks with his glasses and this is incredibly sweet. He realizes that little boy is the reincarnation of his favorite dog, Blackie, from when he was a young little baby fox god. And he loved Blackie. When Blackie died, it was incredibly traumatic for this character. And now he's been reincarnated into this like annoying, runny-nosed little boy. And you just realize like Lee Rang, that murdering side of him is just a front deep down inside. He's just like a guy who wants to like have like a little puppy again. So he ends up, for better or worse, take, taking this child and the child just lives with him now. But it's his reincarnated puppy dog. And then he also like offers up his abusive stepdad to be sucked into the like Chinese lantern and then is huffed by the chairman. But, <laughs> you know, we see Blackie, the little boy, like putting stickers on him while he sleeps, like just causing a ruckus. And 
it really, if anyone's seen Stranger Things, the Steve Harrington like arc really kind of matches up a lot with Lee Rang of like, you're like, oh, this person's like no good. And by the end, you're like, I can't get enough. He's so cute. Especially like Steve Harrington, like having to like babysit all these like kids and Stranger Things. Really, that's like the vibe that we got from Lee Rang and Blackie. It's such a good parallel, Lee Rang and Steve Harrington. Like, because you hate Steve Harrington in the first Stranger Things until pretty much the very end. And then he becomes the best character in the series, one of the best characters in the series. And Lee Rang had that same arc where he is this terrible, murderous fox in the beginning and trying to kill the heroine and trying to kill his brother. And then at the end, he is like one of the most beloved characters, I think for me in this show like his death was the saddest for me that was my hardest cry i didn't cry very much in the show at all but i definitely shed some tears for lee rang and i just i loved his growth and i loved him as the boy who got to get his little puppy back yeah totally yeah i mean steve harrington i would take a spiked bat to the face for steve harrington (laughs) i love him so much and it was just a i think leah had the comparison i really agree because again steve harrington's evil but then he ends up falling for all these kids and and that's the way it was with lee rang so when he first met blackie he like really was disgusted by the kids running nose and then one of the last scenes he's wiping the kid's nose like without disgust just like taking care of a little kid and and i also don't even think we're like really giving a spoiler by saying lee rang dies because Throughout the whole show, you know he's going to die. I mean, all of us knew. We all knew he was going to die. It was going to be epic. So I just, I do want to say that. Yeah, he, you know from the beginning, like, he's not immortal. He's half fox, half human. And he makes many references to the fact that he should not have lived as long as he had. And the reason why he has lived this long is he's been using the lantern plants, too. Yeah, he's been hopping so, everyone but Gia's parents as well. Everybody but her parents, because somehow he knew. Somehow yeah. that there was the Sharpie mark, and he knew not to huff him. But yeah, you knew that he was on borrowed time, and he was able to die in a very noble way. And, you know, there's reincarnation, so good things happen. But yeah, our final one is a fun one. And oh, yes to granny and her husband and we're talking about hell granny and her husband and they were such a fun couple she was this basically you know gatekeeper of hell and she had a very important job she worked in her little office with her i don't know what that computer was that was like from 1975 that was before i even knew what a computer was and she keeps track of everybody who dies and makes sure that they get sent off to the right place including our poor little ghost girls who want to take their slime with them to hell but you're she listening also- to the show you haven't seen it you're gonna be like what no i know i know like it's all there it's all there but i mean she seems like this total stingy badass bitch of a woman but she does have heart and her heart comes through in how she relates to leon and how she does relate to her husband when finally her husband has had enough of kind of being pushed around by her and takes off for a little bit so it is fun to see this woman with this sort of hardened exterior but know that she's like a little squishy marshmallow inside for the people who mean the most to her and because of that she ends up bending some rules to bring out some happy endings in the end And it was just, it was a fun relationship because even though these are, you know, the guardians of hell, it was a very relatable marital relationship kind of situation where you see that it's not all happily ever afters after people fall in love. Yeah, I would say that my relationship 330 days into like the pandemic is probably like similar to granny and husband, except like my husband's not like, I'm more the husband probably at this point. (laughs) 
Okay, so one big question that I had after watching the show and that I want to discuss with you guys was the granny decision. In the show, she was willing to sacrifice one human, which was Gia, for hundreds of thousands, meaning she was willing to kill Gia to save all these people that were dying from the plague, which is morally maybe right. I mean, I couldn't disagree with her position. She was trying to save hundreds of people. Obviously, Leon didn't agree with her, and he wanted to save his one true love, which was Gia. He was still willing to fight for her, despite, you know, people dropping like flies due to the plague. And it made me think, I mean, obviously, you are going to protect your family. Like, isn't that kind of the plot of almost every, like, disaster movie? I mean, you're always going to protect your family. And if you don't, I guess what's What's kind of your purpose? And so it really made me think what was morally right between these two decisions? What made sense? Was was Granny right? Was Leon right? Were they both right? And I guess I just wanted to hear what you guys thought about that, because I kind of agreed with both of them. I didn't I understood why Leon was willing to fight for his love no matter what, because that was what was most important to him. I mean, your family is going to be what's most important to you. But, and this is a big but, so I agree with you that I think they both have a point, but when Leon chose Aum over his responsibility as a god, the forest burned and so did the foxes and everybody who was there. And that was a huge price to pay. And he sacrificed, he did sacrifice his brother a little bit, right? His brother was left to die. Not a little and, bit, and a, lot a, lot a lot of it. A lot of it. A lot of it, yeah. And so I think when you're asking this question, you have to put it in the context of to whom are you asking this question? And when you're asking it of the behavior of somebody who is considered a God, which Leon was and which granny is that when you are in that position, you don't have the luxury of putting family first. You don't have that luxury. When you are responsible for literally the world, you don't have that luxury. So I think if you're talking about human world, yes, family comes first. Yeah, I think it comes back to that question of like, is it right to save the few for the many? And yeah, on a personal note, like if like I could pick like saving my children versus like saving, you know, a van load of like strangers, I'm probably going to like be selfish and choose like that who's important to me the most. I've also, like, my brain has melted thinking about all the WTFs here, so I'm not, like, on my, like, philosophy, <laughs> like, point, no, I point here. But, you know, when it comes to Granny, I'm sympathetic for the fact that, like, all these people are equal in her eyes. And it kind of ties back into, like, how God was in Goblin, too, when, like, he cursed Kim Shin for, like, you know, being, like, you're a good guy, so, like, yay, but you also, like, killed all these people that were special. Like, you know, like, they're all my people. And so, like, you're also not going to get, like, completely rewarded for that. And so I felt like Granny was much more like that. Yeah, I completely agree. And you know what? I didn't think of it from the God perspective. at Because, again, I kind of... You know, I almost wondered, is the show trying to make Granny the villain? Because she's not the villain. Like, I didn't think she was the villain. I don't think so at all. I think she was true to what her role was in the universe. I agree. I think she was trying to save, and like Leah said, all people were equal. I think that was when Lee Yon, maybe that was part of, you know, his wish that he didn't want to be a god anymore. He wanted to be human because maybe. Oh, for only, sure. Yeah, he only wanted to have to worry about Gia. And, you know, I don't know. I, I kind of don't blame him. I mean, 
Can you imagine being responsible for everyone? <laughs> and I think this is my last WTF to close this out, which is I still don't understand why he had to give up everything in order to like, was like Gia just not going to be reincarnated because I just didn't really fully understand like why she wouldn't get reincarnated to the point that he had to like sacrifice his mountain, sacrifice his brother, sacrifice like the entire world that he was like solely responsible for. Yeah, there, so, I don't think yeah. there is an answer. Okay, no worries. I just wanted to make sure there was no more answers because that's that <laughs> is the, that is what we leave nope. you with. There's no answers. If you want to watch a visually stunning show yeah. full of brotherly affection and family dysfunction and intern who is actually a thousand year old serpent intent on taking over the world and have none of it make sense, this is the show for you. And Lee Dong Wook's neck vein. And his neck vein. That should also be its own K-drama next to Intern Amugi is Nights with the Neck Vein. So (laughs) we're going to recommend romances that are kind of more in the horror genre vein. So the one I'm going to recommend, I don't know if I would call it horror romance, but it does have a lot of creepy vibes. And instead of an island the main character travels to kind of more a reclusive mountain community village so this is called safe in your fire and it's by darian cox and so this is a gay romance written by a gay man the romance itself is fantastic the whole series is really great the main character is a journalist and he travels to this kind of reclusive village to interview a former child star but there's a lot more to this former child star than the journalist realizes and there's a lot of creepy happenings that go on in the village that the journalist has to work through and figure out what is causing it and it's just great romance a great series that has creepy vibes in a weird village so i really recommend it okay so i am going to recommend this is not a straight romance i would say this is a woman's fiction with horror and romantic elements And it is Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno Garcia. And kind of to dovetail off of what you were saying, Megan, in this as well, it's got that classic Gothic horror vibe of, you know, a letter comes and this young woman is sent to find what's happened to her cousin, who's a newlywed up in a very remote part of the Mexican countryside. And when she gets there, she's not sure what she's going to find. Like her cousin seems like she's deeply disturbed. And the main heroine is this glamorous debutante. She's always rocking the perfect red lipstick. She is tough. She's smart. And then when she gets up there, it's a house that is like the people that live in the house are originally from England and they've opened up a silver mine a long time ago. And so even though it's set in Mexico, it's got very much like an English Gothic component to it. All sorts of bananas things happen in it like when we talk about bonkers like i wasn't sure where this book was going i just knew something was very strange and when we get to the final conclusion it holds to me not everyone agrees it held to me and it's completely completely bonkers but there is a sweet love story to it and it definitely like freaks you out because you're in like kind of like this like english manner you know vibe you know where the walls do bad things and there's like ghosts around and things like that so that is mexican gothic by sylvia moreno garcia i really enjoyed this book i read it in like a single sitting 
I can attest to the bonkers of Mexican Gothic. Absolutely. Ooh. And the really great, like, Victorian sort of Gothic vibes, even though it's taking place in, I think, the 50s, isn't it? Yeah. And I love that it was, like, also, like, layering over, like, colonization, like, Mexico, like, setting, too. There's just, like, a lot of really evocative things happening in it. So I'm going to close us out with a teen romance. And yes, it is a teen horror romance. And it is called Anna Dressed in Blood by Kendari Blake. And Anna Dressed in Blood, the premise is that our hero, his name is Cass Lowood, and he is basically a ghost slash demon hunter. This is very much, it's got very much like Supernatural. If you like the show Supernatural, this is very much like the show Supernatural. He inherited the ability to kill the dead, to trap ghosts from his father. But of course, his father was murdered by this sort of demon ghost. And so now Cass is on the hunt with his mom, who is a witch, trying to find this ghost that killed his father. But along the way, he is a ghost hunter for those who need it. And in order to do the job that he does, he has to keep like friends at bay like he doesn't really get close to anybody because he and his mother are moving around a lot and they go to where they're needed basically and he'll go to school for a little bit and then they'll pick up and leave and so they are going to a new location to hunt a ghost that the locals call anna dressed in blood and he thinks it's going to be you know the sort of usual where he finds the ghost kills the ghost and takes off for his next place and the thing about anna is that anna is different than any ghost that he's ever come up against. She is dressed literally in the dress that she wore the day that she was murdered. And it is always dripping with blood. It's white and now stained with dripping blood. And since her death, she haunts the house that she died in in 1958. And since her death, anybody that comes in contact with her, like anybody that tries to enter the house, she murders brutally. And there is some brutal stuff in this book. I, I am not a big proponent of violence, but there is some some sort of badass ghost murdering in here. And I enjoyed it, but it's some it's some stuff. Anyway, what happens is she kills anybody who comes in contact with her in the house, except Cass. When Cass steps foot in the house, not by his own means, by the way, he's being pranked by some kids at school, gets thrown into the house and Anna does not harm him. And so without giving away too much more of the story, and there is a book too, it is a romance partially between a ghost hunter and a murdering ghost. So ah, that sounds so cool. It is really cool. I really, really enjoyed it. So if you are looking for some teen romance with a horror feel to it, I would definitely recommend Anna Dressed in Blood by Kendari Blake. Wow. Okay, so to close things out, why don't we all just share what drama we're currently watching? I have a friend on Instagram who recommended Run On on Netflix, and she'd been posting about it, and it really seemed to be something that would fit my mood. I After the Tale of Nine Tales, I really kind of wanted something contemporary and light. So I started watching it and I'm really hooked. I mean, the heroine right away goes full on anti-toxic masculinity in like episode one. We get shirtless hero in episode one. I'm all in. And what I find really interesting is the heroine is actually a translator. So she translates English films into Korean. And I love anytime they're talking about her job because I find that really fascinating and the hero is a track star who is the son of a really famous actress and he is <laughs> I really like him he's very closed off but he's also very honest like he says exactly what he thinks even if it's kind of rude and that's always 
like my favorite. That's kind of the way the hero wasn't touch your heart. So I'm really enjoying it. I'm on like episode two. I've laughed a lot. Again, heroine is super engaging and apparently she only gets better. So I'm really looking forward to it. And I won't talk too much about mine because I've already talked about it. I had to put It's Okay Not to Be Okay aside to do our buddy watch for Tale of the Nine-Tailed, which was fine. But now I'm back on full force with It's Okay Not to Be Okay. I'm more than halfway done with it now. I'm in episode 10 and I absolutely love it. The actors in this drama absolutely astound me. It is such a wonderful, deep dive into mental health, which I think is something that we need to see a lot more of. And I'm very, very impressed with how It's Okay Not to Be Okay is tackling that. We've got our hero who has been taking care of his older brother with autism ever since their mother passed away when they were younger. And we don't quite know what happened there. We know it was a violent death, but we don't quite know the whole story there. And intertwined with that, with him taking care of his brother, is this reconnecting with another person from his past who ends up being the heroine. And she definitely has some deep-seated emotional issues as well with some things that happened in her family. And I know it's all going to tie together in the end, but like just the acting in this blows me away. The way that they deal with mental health and the range of emotions that I'm feeling as I'm watching this drama, everything from laughing to sobbing from some really, really heavy moments. And I'm really looking forward to see how it's all going to pan out because right now it's at a really, really dark point and I'm crossing my fingers for a happy ending. And I am back on the Kim Eun-suk bandwagon. So Kim Eun-suk being the writer of Goblin. And I've also watched King the Eternal Monarch. And I am now going to start working my way through her backlist, I guess, so to speak. So I am on Descendants of the Sun, which came out in 2016 and has Song Joong-ki, who just made a lot of waves doing Space Sweepers and is also going to be coming out with Vincenzo. And also Song Hai-kyo, who was, you know, the Song Song couple was married for a while after this drama then they got a divorce but you know anyway back to the show descendants of the sun is amazing i really didn't know what to expect going in i knew it was heavily military the name seems quite like weighty and like evocative and there's a real lightness to the show like it's definitely not like just like a light show but there is like warmth and humor to it and then i was like oh of course because like kim and suk loves like cringy cutesy like moments but also having these like very alpha men and so like you know alpha men acting like goobers over love is like a thing for me and she gets that on like a very deep level and so i'm just really enjoying it because you know it's like the main characters like constantly kicking ass and taking names and then just really is like into this doctor and it's a cool like juxtaposition because he like kills people as a soldier for a living and she saves lives for a living. And so they kind of touch on like that tension as well. So yeah, it's intense, but it's also a lot of fun and I really recommend it so far, but I'm only on episode five. All right. Well, this has been an episode, everybody. And I think it's <laughs> You're still time. here. You know, good job. Thank you. Right. If you were still with us, oh my gosh. God bless you. you. <laughs> but we're, we're going we're gonna to free you now yeah. from from the tangled web that has been the tale of the nine tailed. And we're going to all say, Annyeong! Kamsamnida! Thank you for listening to Afternoona Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K-Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoona Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind-the-scenes photos, and, of course, pics of our favorite opas and unis. 
안녕.